Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. I am your host, senior reporter for InfraLogic, Andrew Vitelli. Our guest today is Michael Tatarski, a managing director for the renewables-focused investment bank, Cohn Resnick Capital. Michael worked for financial firms, including Santander and Deutsche Bank, before joining Cohn Resnick Capital in 2015. Michael, uh, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Of course. So I think most of my listeners who do any work at all in the uh, renewable energy space are very familiar with Cohn Resnick Capital. But for those who might not be, can you tell me a little bit about the firm? Sure. Cone Resnick Capital is a renewable energy-focused boutique investment bank. Um, we focus broadly on sustainability and specifically on renewable energy. We've been at it for, for 10 years, getting our start in tax equity placing and financing work, um, but have since evolved into kind of a broader um, standard investment banking boutique offering focused on platform M&A, uh, growth capital raises, um, asset sales, asset M&A, and then, of course, project finance, which includes tax equity debt um, and any type of you know, project level capital solutions needed. We've since you know, done 265 transactions, over $40 billion in value. You know, happy to say we've, we've probably um, you know, reached the top of the league tables in deal volume for the last couple of years um, with you know, over 20 or so transactions completed in 2022. Yeah, whenever we publish our league tables, Cohn Resnick Capital is always uh, at the top or towards the top in anything renewable energy related. Now, you've been with Cohn Resnick Capital for seven years. Have you always been focused on the renewable energy space? And what made you interested both in working on renewables and joining Cohn uh, Resnick specifically? Yeah, you know, look, when I getting out of college, it was less uh, less of a focus. Um, you know, I was hoping to just get a job, and lucky to say, I fell into renewable energy. Um, you know, I've been doing this for over ten years at this point, and you know, over seven, as you mentioned, with Conorsa Capital, uh, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, obviously the the industry has grown significantly since uh, since me joining. Um, we're doing larger deals, more deals, um, you know, finding interesting solutions for our clients, which has been really exciting to be a part of. Um, and, you know, we, we think the it's still kind of early innings in renewable energy. And, you know, we're just happy to be part of the ride. Well, thank you, Michael. So we have a lot to talk about looking forward. But before we do, before we look uh, towards the rest of 2023, I want to take a step back and look at what kind of a year 2022 was, because it was... I would say a very strange year for the renewable sector. Now, entering the year and really through the first quarter, I would say that there were unprecedented headwinds running from the supply chain challenges that we saw across industries uh, that led to rising solar uh, equipment prices, and then also specifically the threat of really heavy retroactive tariffs on most solar cell and module imports. I think it was the renewables industry seemed like it was in somewhat of a dark place in the beginning of 2022. But as the year moved on, we got first a two-year freeze on the countervailing tariffs, uh, which was a weight lifted for the industry. And then in August, uh, President Biden signed the very poorly named uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which contained a lot of incentives that had long been on the 
renewable industries wish list. So looking back at, 20, at 2022, how would you summarize what, what that year brought to the sector? Yeah, no, look, I think you touched on a bunch of it, Andrew, right? So definitely a juxtaposition of a year. Um, you know, the year started off with, with numerous headwinds, you know, some of which you listed, um, inflation, supply chain challenges, you know, general financial market uncertainty, which created challenges across the renewable energy sphere. Cost of capital rose. Um, it was tough to get equipment for many supplier, uh, for, for many, uh, developers, um, ultimately delaying um, you know, construction windows and, you know, the time it took to, to get projects completed. The cost of equipment went up significantly, even if you were able to get your hands on it, um, including modules, turbines, interconnecting equipment. Um, some of that inflation has now leveled off from what we're seeing. There's been a, a steadying of PPA prices compared to, you know, call it second half of, uh, of 2022. Um, but not, notwithstanding, you know, supply chain issues, you know, continue to persist. I think it's interesting to, be, to see how um, some of the, the challenges with the ADCVD and the tariffs related to modules and imports from, from China um, work themselves out in 2023. That's one area that we're certainly continuing to watch and, and speaking with our sponsored developer clients. Uh, something they're actively working through. Um, there's been, of course, some clarity from uh, from the government on you know which um, which type of equipment will be you know you know continue to be challenged and which is okay to kind of proceed through customs. Um, but all that notwithstanding, it's created some challenges that we're continuing to work through. Um, and then you know to continue, I think you know there were definitely benefits in the second half of 2022. You know, one of which is, of course, obvious, the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act, which provided, you know, more than $350 billion of, uh, of stimulus into, you know, this renewable energy industry, uh, offering investors and sponsors alike certainty and confidence around the extension of tax credits. It opened up new markets for tax credits, including carbon capture, uh, battery storage, um, you know, hydrogen, renewable, uh, renewable natural gas, things like that. And then it also gave certainty around the existing tax credits, the PTC and the ITC for wind and solar, um, you know, kind of looking out into the next 10 years and allowing these developers the certainty to continue to develop and you know, invest in this growth industry. And so I think the major theme of 2023 is going to be how the uh, Inflation Reduction Act is implemented and spurs the industry and starting let's start with wind and solar with these existing technologies that were given certainty are you starting to see the effect of the ira when it comes to deal flow and projects i'd say there certainly has been a pickup on the wind side of things just given that the ptc has been extended and there's certainty around price of the ptc and the the tenor going forward um the ptc now being offered for the for the solar component as well, um, is certainly you know opening up markets and providing you know a more economic, tax efficient solution in some markets, depending on geography, that capacity factor, um, and cost of the system. Uh, earlier this year, beginning or uh, end of last year, we issued some analysis around that, which I think is important for developers to consider um, as they take projects through the development into construction and operation. 
what is the credit um, that provides the most economic solution? Is it the PTC or is it the ITC for solar? Um, and that's that's a very important question. And you know, we're doing a lot of analysis um, for our clients on that. Uh, and it ultimately depends, as mentioned, on you know location and um, project specific capacity factors, as well as cost to build. So in the in the lower in the lower states where you know it's cheaper to build um, with you know strong solar radiation, it is uh, you know it's more of a PTC play depending on the market. And then in areas where it's more expensive to build uh, with lower capacity factors. For those markets, you choose to go ITC. How healthy is the tax credit market heading into 2023 or now now a month into, into 2023? Yeah, it's a good question, Andrew. I think we're still seeing the market trying to find um, some level of equilibrium on the supply-demand side of the equation um, for both volume and price. Transferability, of course, has introduced a whole nother um, exit option, let's say, for the tax equity market, um, which is still you know subject to guidance, and folks are trying to understand you know what that pr- product is going to price at, um, what the risk transfer is going to look like, how does it get documented? We're a part of many of those transactions currently, uh, but many of them you know continue to be subject to guidance. So we expect to to close our first one here in the next couple of months post guidance, but. Now, ultimately, it's it's an interesting solution. Um, we expect to see continued price discovery, growing liquidity in that market. Um, it's necessary given the volume of credits that have been introduced as a result of the IRA. Um, we'll touch on some of it, you know, kind of around carbon capture and battery storage, but also existing technologies in solar, utility scale, community solar, DNI. The transferability option will be a good solution for many customers, for many sponsors, um, just depending on the size of the project and what kind of price ultimately gets offered. But we don't see it as a as a tool that's going to replace tax equity. In our analysis, uh, traditional tax equity is still the economic solution. Um, when compared to transferability, we expect that to persist. Uh, just get tax equity market typically takes both the tax credits and the depreciation and a small share of cash, all in economics still result in a better solution for the the traditional tax equity option. All that being said, transferability is going to provide a very good solution to many customers. um, And we think it's going to help grow this this market more broadly. Well, that's good to hear. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, as we move forward in the year. Now, we talked about wind and solar, and obviously these are technologies that were boosted by the IRA, but have been growing and you know can no longer really be considered nascent technologies. Where some expect the IRA to have an even bigger impact is in newer technologies that really haven't so much figured out their economics yet, specifically battery storage and carbon capture. Now, as long as I've been a reporter in the space, I've been hearing from investors and developers saying, that the next big thing is going to be a, an ITC, an investment tax credit for standalone battery storage. Previously, battery storage could only get the ITC benefit if it was charged by renewable resource uh, a certain amount of the time, which made it which, which made it really um, only tenable when it was a solar you know solar plus storage project and not for a standalone storage. 
Now, finally, the industry has gotten that incentive. How big a boost is this going to have on battery storage, which we already saw heating up before the IRA was passed, even when it looked like it was it, it might be dead? Um, and how quickly will we see that ramp up take place? Sure. No. So we're involved both uh, on carbon capture and energy storage um, across the firm. So we've been doing carbon capture for several years now, even prior to the passing of the IRA. So we're very, um, you know, well versed and kind of in the weeds on carbon capture. Our expectation is that you know the IRA is only going to provide additional support to an industry that you know was economic prior, and it's going to allow more and more projects to become economic as a result. Um, the you know the challenge with the carbon capture side of of the um, technology sphere is that. It's the projects are are massive, right? So they demand a lot of tax credit um, off ramp, and that creates its own set of challenges because you need to find a home for all those credits, um, either through transferability or traditional tax equity, both of which we're working on very closely in the carbon capture space. So it's a, it's a bit of a different problem. Um, there's a lot of credits that need to that need to be serviced for battery storage. Um, Again, we're also very active in this and, you know, working with several key clients um, on energy storage transactions in tax equity and in M&A. Specific to, to the credits, um, you know, I think the, the projects that have some level of, of contracted offtake from creditworthy sources uh, are naturally going to find a home in traditional tax equity for projects that are purely merchant arbitrage storage. Um, those are a bit more challenging. Um, whether you know the, the choice is to run them completely merchant, chances are that those are going to go um, towards uh, transferability as an option, and then they'll bring in you know external debt financing or other type of financing at the hold co level in order to optimize the economics uh, compared to you know contracted storage, which is going to you know kind of find a, a traditional tax equity solution as mentioned. Um, the other, the other thing is, you know, there are a lot of toll providers in the market, um, still to be seen as to how that market develops and what the tolls look like, what the tenor is and the price, and ultimately the credit backstop standing behind the obligations of the toll provider. Assuming we find a solution there from some of the leading groups who are providing this type of product, I think that's going to, um, you know, create additional support and, you know, allow many of these merchant projects. Uh, to go towards the traditional tax equity market and find a home. And do you think that it's going to take some time for developers and investors to figure all this out? Or do you think that uh, that by the end of this year, we're going to start seeing a lot of these carbon capture projects, you know, being reaching financial close? Yeah, I expect to see, you know, completed projects this year in both carbon capture and battery storage. Um, as mentioned, we're working on a handful, which, you know, we expect to, you know, reach completion here soon in terms of a um, financial close. Um, and then, you know, in transferability generally, post-guidance, once that gets all finalized, um, expectation is that we'll be able to see, you know, significant transfer deals get completed in the space. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that, Michael. And obviously, we're going to see a lot of new development because of the IRA. What impact do you think it's going to have on the M&A market in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, so M&A has remained strong, you know, through kind of 2022 and into 2023. 
you know, despite inflation and rising cost of capital, <clears throat> M&A continues to be, you know, um, one of the bright spots in, in U.S. renewables. There's just this wall of foreign capital that, you know, continues to reinforce. Um, everybody's trying to find a platform to acquire um, everyone from, you know, foreign IPPs to infrastructure funds, um, but also domestic strategics and domestic infra funds, private equity shops, hedge funds, pensions, other institutional type of investors. And, you know, in our view, that will only persist and continue um, with the support of the IRA. Um, we've seen corporate M&A take priority for many investors over you know, asset and portfolio M&A, uh, just given that developers and sponsors have made a you know, cognizant decision to keep projects on balance sheet, hold on to them longer, take them through you know, construction and into operation, essentially transitioning existing business models from dev flip into own operate. Um, and that's, you know, boosted platform values um, and it's been a, you know, a, a success story, let's say, for, for many groups that, uh, you know, have pivoted business model and, you know, deep exit from, from the investor market. So in, in our view, you know, M&A asset activity will continue both in traditional renewables, uh, call it you know solar and wind, but also in energy storage. Um, we saw twenty um, in twenty twenty one. We saw fifteen M and A transactions in energy storage in twenty twenty two, twenty three <clears throat> energy storage transactions. And our expectation is that you know that's only going to grow um, in the coming years. Well, Michael, you brought up the platform transactions that we've seen, and that is one of the major trends that that. We saw in 2022 and and even prior, where there were a lot of these renewables platforms where an investor would pay sometimes a hefty price for a platform that had a lot of early stage projects and a very ambitious pipeline, and then a, you know in most of these cases a really strong team, uh, a team of experienced people in the sector, but not a lot, but had not developed a lot, didn't have a lot of projects that were far along, and investors were kind of paying for the prospect of developing out this early stage pipeline. You know, I'm wondering if you think there are too many of these platforms or too, you know, that have too much ambition and it's going to be something that a lot of these a lot of these deals end up being more challenging uh, than than maybe investors expect. Yeah, I you know, I'd say that there perhaps may have been um, observed a, you know, flight to quality where <clears throat> started to focus on you know, the best in class management teams. So, you know, there's certainly some of that. And I think it was driven by, you know, many of the macro factors that we touched on at the top of the podcast. But, you know, what I'd say is in, in 2022, you know, deals got done. Um, there was a lot of majority platform M&A. We tracked 13 deals completed in 2022 um, and 32 minority platform M&A deals. Uh, so it, it's a strong number, you know, and and I think that, with some of the macro headwinds stabilizing in 23, um, you know, we, we may see continued growth in this space. I think one challenge is, you know, it's to be seen as to, you know, what happens with inflation. Do we face a recession in 23 or beyond and how that kind of flows through into the investor market? Um, 
cost of capital, you know, and of course the resulting valuations of the platforms. But as mentioned, you know, this wall of capital, this demand for ESG investment um, <clears throat> is persisting. It's very strong. Everybody's trying to find a way to, um, you know, step into a platform that has the expertise in this space, that knows how to develop these projects, that knows how to put projects into operation. Uh, and, and many investors have made a decision where instead of buying single assets and going through these long processes to, um, you know, acquire single, single projects, we're going to buy a management team that has the expertise, um, you know, that's vertically integrated, that has the technical, you know, know-how internally to continue to, uh, you know, originate pipeline and grow the business as the market expands. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Now uh, we're, we're, Running out of time, but we opened this conversation talking about some of the headwinds facing the industry in 2022. And a lot of those did kind of work themselves out, but not completely. For one, we talked about the threat of countervailing tariffs. And although there is that freeze, which will run until June of next year, the industry is still facing uh, the realistic prospect that imports from Southeast Asia could face those tariffs uh, when that moratorium expires. And perhaps the bigger issue now facing the industry when it comes to supply chains is the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, uh, and which is an effort to make sure that imports into the United States are not benefiting from forced labor in China. And earlier this year, we were seeing a lot of solar imports being seized by customs before making it to the to the U.S. Now we we've seen a little bit of a let up in that, and some folks are optimistic that it could work itself out. But that's another another challenge facing the industry, along with continued inflation, along with rising interest rates and continuing supply chain challenges. How serious are these headwinds remaining? And I mean, do they threaten to hold up? the progress that the IRA seeks to promise? Yeah, I mean, I'd say so, Andrew, right? So <clears throat> I think those are real challenges that the industry is working through. Many people are working through it. I believe we're going to find a way, you know, do we hit kind of the hockey stick growth that, you know, has been advertised um, as part of the IRA passing? That may be difficult, but, you know, this industry historically has gone through a lot of ups and downs. Um, starts and stops. And, you know, I think um, we might see some of that continue as a result of general macro conditions. We've seen some easing of the, you know, tariff and, you know, the imports of, of major equipment from Asia. There's been clarity and guidance from, from the government on that. Uh, you know, supply chains, domestic supply chains are, you know, starting to develop, which is going to provide some, um, some support in the future, but it, it will take time for for those supply chains to fully form, um, and that you know those OEMs to start producing more and more equipment domestically. All that to say, I think it, we're likely to see you know many of those things continue to create uh, create headwinds in in 2023 and beyond. But I'm certain that you know we will continue to kind of do our job, and uh, sponsors will continue to develop projects and. Um, We'll, we'll find a path. Well, thank you for that, Michael. And a lot more to, we, we could cover. We could talk all day, but I think we're just about out of time. So, Michael, thank you so much for, for joining me today. 
Thanks for your time. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in to Crossroads. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And please give us a five-star rating. Until next time, this has been Crossroads. Crossroads.